Welcome everyone to Tamriel Adventures, a show that brings you information from all across the far reaches of Tamriel. I am your host, Eric, a.k.a. Silur, and this one is the Khajiiti Merchant. Merchant, how are you doing today? Oh, this one is doing okay, thank you for asking. So, Silur. Yes? What are we doing today? Well, today's Daedra is one that, in my opinion, if we're real would cause nightmares so we are doing mafala today and uh yeah mafala kind of looks like a giant spider with a human torso like human upper half okay this one is leaving goodbye i <laughs> uh, guess that the merchant isn't a fan of spiders so yeah, we're doing Mafala today, and uh, this one is going to be pretty interesting because there's a lot of uh, info on Mafala out there. Mafala actually has shown up in ESO quite a few times, so in person. So yeah, that is what we're going to be covering today, but before we get to that, um, let's get to some of the news. So yeah. Um, Skyrim Anniversary Edition is out, and I have actually played, uh, quite a bit of it. Uh, well, not, well, there's always, we'll get into it. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot there. Um, I made sure to buy the upgrade as soon as I can, or as I could. So, uh, yeah, tense, uh, past tense. Um, but we're definitely gonna talk about that when we get to my gameplay. But, um, we got some articles here about it so I mean I've seen a lot of people um shit on the anniversary edition and I think that's kind of unfair they're like why are you releasing Skyrim again we already have enough version of Skyrim where the hell is Elder Scrolls 6 so it's like every single thing that Bethesda has posted about this anniversary edition they're like we don't want another version of Skyrim we need you know Elder Scrolls 6 and I'm it is not another version of Elder Scrolls 6. Well, of Elder Scrolls Skyrim. It, I mean, technically it could be if you buy it as a standalone version. But if you already have the Anniversary Edition, it's just a simple upgrade for 20 bucks, Or whatever it is in your country. I know there are people who are not from America that or the United States, I should say. There's more than just the United States and America. But um, it, it technically is just an upgrade to the Skyrim Special Edition. So there are four that you get for... I've already gone through um, all that. Unfortunately, um, and I mentioned this on Nintendo, there are some Nintendo players that are kind of pissed about this because they're not included in the anniversary edition release the tweets and like all of the social media posts about this the uh, anniversary edition said all platforms well that is true to an extent but it should have said all platforms dot 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 that have the special edition of skyrim and unfortunately the version of skyrim that the Nintendo Switch has is the standard edition, like the original release. So, yeah, Nintendo was kind of left in the dust with that. And, you know, I think the biggest issue is the fact that 
with the version that's on the Switch, it doesn't have the Creation Club. It doesn't have access to the Creation Club, so there's no way that the people on the Switch can download the Creation Club content. And that is what the Anniversary Edition is, is it is the Special Edition with access to the with the access to the creation club content. So what it is is if you don't get the upgrade, you get access to four pieces of creation club content. And I've already gone over all this on the last episode. You know, you get fishing, you get saints and seducers, rare curios, and um, I'm blanking on one of them. Um, anyway. Yeah, I guess that's just it. Yeah, but um, with the Creation Club um, Anniversary Edition upgrade, you get access to every single piece of Creation Club content that is available at that point of release, and I think it's great. I have really enjoyed it. Like I said, I'll be talking more about it when we get to my gameplay, but um, there's some other news surrounding it, so. There was a an article from The Guardian that had kind of an interview with Todd Howard on 10 Years of Skyrim. And basically he said, look, if this game, if there wasn't a demand for all of this, then we wouldn't have put it out there. So, yeah, there are people out on social media that keep going, why are you releasing another version of Skyrim? We don't want that. We want Elder Scrolls 6. Give us Elder Scrolls 6. Give us Elder Scrolls 6. Give us Elder Scrolls 6. It goes on and on and on. And he's like, look, if there wasn't a demand for this, we wouldn't put it out there. So, you know, talk to your friends and everything and, you know, tell them to quit asking for it. So, um, I don't know. I got a feeling that this probably will be the last release of Skyrim, uh, unless there's another console that comes out before Elder Scrolls Six comes out. And even then, they'll probably optimize it for the next gen after you know the series consoles and PS5. So yeah, it's, it's not going away and. That's because people want it, you know. I was very excited when the anniversary edition was announced because it was more stuff to play. Like, you know, I love me some... You know, I don't mind the texture mods and things like that, but I love new player houses, new quests, new story. Um, the costumes have been cool. Like, the armor has been nice. Um, but I'm loving all this new content that's available with the Creation Club. Now, what I would really love, um, and this is just me as a Nintendo lover also, I would love for Bethesda to put out another, ver like a two-pack for Fallout New Vegas and Fallout 3. And then, or, or they could do a two-pack with Fallout 3 and Oblivion. And then, I, like, I would love Fallout 4 to be on the Switch also. But I think it would run into the same issue that Skyrim did, where they couldn't release the Creation Club uh, along with it. Oh, and then, of course, access to mods and all that. You know, mods aren't a thing on Nintendo. 
But like I said, that's just me as a Nintendo owner. I've come across people on social media who only have a Nintendo Switch to play video games. Like they don't have PC, they don't have Xbox, they don't have the PlayStation. The Switch is their only way to play. So I think that Bethesda's kind of doing the Nintendo a disservice if they want uh, you know everybody to have access to their games. So, like I said, that's just me as a Nintendo lover also. But, yeah, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to, like I always say, I'm going to link these articles in the show notes. But it's an interesting read, um, this interview with Todd Howard. And speaking of Todd Howard, I saw this on Twitter also. Rich Lambert, who is one of the devs at Bethesda, posted something about Todd Howard's Reddit, where... He said something about how one of Todd Howard's kids for Father's Day gave him a card and said, you're an amazing dad, but where's Elder Scrolls 6? And in the comments, he's, you know, somebody was commenting on it. He's like, it just goes to show you that he can't even escape this at home. Which, you know, most of the time I get tired of everybody complaining on social media, you know, Anything that Bethesda posts, that they'll just be like, all right, well, give us two good, give us a good Fallout game, unlike the last two. And they're like, well, the last two were good. And um, where's Elder Scrolls Six? You know, they could post something where they say, oh, guess what? We're going to donate this amount of money to charity, something fantastic. And people were like, well, you need to instead invest that money into giving us what we want. Like, just the entitlement and the snobbery, and I, mean, I, get, I get tired of it. But this was funny. This actually made me laugh. Like, it's good to know that Bethesda doesn't take any of this seriously. Like, they, I'm sure that, you know, yes, they listen to their fans, but they don't let the trolls get to them. And I, I just thought that was really funny. So here's another little article uh, that has to do with Todd Howard, and this is from Games Radar. And he mentions what he thinks his favorite mod is. So, actually, this interview was with IGN, but this is the Games Games Radar article. But, um, you know, it's great that Bethesda works with mod developers so much. Um, I just think it's fantastic that they, they, you know, a lot of people don't think that Bethesda really cares about the community at all. They don't listen to their demands, da 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 what have you. But Bethesda has always embraced their community. That's actually how some of the mechanics in Skyrim came to be, where... You know, the, <laughs> the lockpicking in Oblivion was very, very different. Um, where you actually had to use the lockpick to push up on the tumblers to pick the lock. And that was vastly different from Morrowind, where you just equip a lockpick and then try to use it until the lockpick actually works. But there was a mod for Oblivion that changed the lockpicking mechanic to be like Fallout. And, you know, Fallout 3 came out after Oblivion did. So, yeah, the the lockpicking in Oblivion was changed in this mod to be, like, Fallout 3. Or, yeah, because Fallout 
four hadn't happened yet. So they're like, you know what? We're going to use that. So that's how the lockpicking in Skyrim was changed to be like Fallout, you know, where you have the lockpicking and, you know, you know how it is. I mean, I think more people have played Skyrim at this point than pretty much any other, you know, Elder Scrolls game, which is kind of a shame, <laughs> really. But um, he, in this article, Todd Howard says he pick, he hates picking favorites. So, yeah, they ask him what his favorite Skyrim mod is, and he said that it's one that he wishes Bethesda had actually implemented into the main game. And he's like, this one that I really like, this is going to sound stupid. There's one that I like that where someone added fast travel markers when you bought a house. And it's something that should only take like an hour. It's one of those things where you where you think, why didn't we do that? And he goes on to say that he's also a fan of more system systemic mods. Um, it's going to sound like a bias pick, but stuff that we do with Creation Club, working with those creators, the survival mode for survival mode. That's the fourth one that I forgot to mention, um, which <laughs> I got the option to turn that on right after you leave the tutorial cave. And I'm like, nope, I'm not that kind of a masochist. But uh, I don't know, maybe at some point I will turn it on. Because it said you can turn it on and off at will, basically, in the, men the options menu. So, uh, yeah, he loves it when the developers work with people in the community to get it out there. So he thinks it's been particularly impactful in the game. So yeah, that's basically what the Creation Club is. It's, it's, it's a bunch of mods that are supported by Bethesda. So... Yeah, um, good, good. You know what? I I could see that that should be a thing like, you know, the whole mod adding uh, map markers to player houses. That would actually be really convenient. Because, <laughs> I mean, I wonder if that works with other mods too that add player houses outside of the main cities. Um, there's another article that came out recently that basically said that Elder Scrolls 6 is going to be a console exclusive. And this wasn't said by Bethesda, it was said by Xbox. Uh, Phil Spencer basically said that. And that's got a lot of PlayStation people pissed off, but... I mean, Xbox owns Bethesda. So, I mean, I don't know what you're expecting... So, I mean, they did say that they were going to honor their pre-existing deals with PlayStation, but that was really only for Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo. So, I don't know why people would think that Elder Scrolls 6 is going to be on any other console. <clears throat> Especially when it's going to be years out. I mean, I think, was it somebody said recently, they wouldn't be surprised if it was 10 years out. I mean, think about that. By that point, you know, why wouldn't it be an Xbox exclusive? And I think, from my understanding, it's also going to be on Game Pass. Um, so, I mean, if you have Game Pass, you're going to be able to play it for free. So, you know, it, it is what it is, you know. Bethesda was bought by Xbox, so why would they want to put the game out on the competition i mean that's just my take on it I'm, I'm it sucks for people who only have playstation but 
more than likely it's going to be on PC also, so, you know, get a computer that's good enough to play it. And you can still play, X, you know, your PlayStation. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I don't know why my voice cracked there for a second. So, they also said something about how they think that Elder Scrolls 6 is going to be a decade game. Um, so, basically, they're wanting to make this game a game that people will play for a decade. So, I mean... Which means that, uh, you know, after Elder Scrolls 6, who knows when Elder Scrolls 7 is going to be probably another 10 years after that. So, the good thing is, with this, is they like to make their games that damn good to where the people will want to play it for that long. And, you know, that that's, it's true. I mean, even with games like Morrowind and Oblivion, yeah, they're a little dated, but as far as like graphics and mechanics go, but they're amazing games. I actually was chatting with somebody on Facebook recently, I think it was. Um, somebody had posted something in the Nintendo group asking if people would be willing to play any of the Bethesda, you know, any of the Elder Scrolls games on Game Pass, like, or not Game Pass, but Nintendo Switch, like Daggerfall, Arena, and you know, because they've been releasing a lot of these really like the games from that era on the Nintendo Switch like the original Doom the original um no I, they haven't released the original Wolfenstein I would love for them to release Wolfenstein not the original Wolfenstein but Wolfenstein 3D there was actually a Wolfenstein game that was before Wolfenstein 3D which nobody really knows about I mean I didn't know about it until I watched a video on it um but they've been releasing these games from the early and mid-90s on the Switch. Why couldn't they release Arena or Daggerfall or, you know, any of them on the Switch? I mean, you'd have to, make, you know, map out the buttons somehow because those games were PC only. And there was a guy who said that he would never play any of the games past Skyrim. I mean, before Skyrim, I don't, I think he even said something bad about Oblivion, but he said something about Morrowind, and everybody was like, that's blasphemous, you never disrespect Morrowind that way, and I'm like, okay, just out of curiosity, what is your beef with Morrowind, because in a lot of hardcore Elder Scrolls players' minds, that is the top of the line game in the series, um, I think I mentioned this on the show. It's taken. It took me a couple of tries to really get into Morrowind because I started with Oblivion and the mechanics in Morrowind are mass, massly, vastly different. I did an entire um, I, in the Oblivion fan questions episode. <clears throat> I talked about the changes that were made going from Morrowind to Oblivion. There's yeah, it, it was a really long thing. And I was like, look, if you give this game a proper shot, get used to the mechanics of Morrowind, there's a lot more freedom in Morrowind compared to the games that came after it. A lot more variety in weapons and armor, a lot more variety in spells. You can create spells whenever the hell you want to. You don't have to find an altar to do it. Um, you can enchant things whenever you want to. You don't have to find an altar to do that. Um, 
you don't have to, you're not limited to training five times per level, which I always hated that. Um, as long as you have the gold and the person's level is able to, you can keep training as long as you want to. So if you're playing on PC, give yourself, you know, shitload of gold with a console command, go up to the nearest trainer and you can be at level 50 within a few minutes. So, yeah, I just, I didn't understand that. Um, anyway, that is, it is really as far as the news. Um, aside from the fact that console players can now play the Deadlands uh, DLC with ESO. And, you know what, let's go ahead and talk about my gameplay. So, I have played a lot of the Creation Club stuff on, um, in Skyrim. I, uh, I actually streamed, like, I, I started a new character in Skyrim, and I streamed it, um, from the time I logged on to, um, I can't remember where I left off. I played for about three hours, so I actually went through the Creation Club stuff before I even made my new character, just to see what there was, and it was great. Um, yeah. <laughs> They're, they actually added horse armor to Skyrim. Um, that The whole horse armor thing has kind of been an inside joke with Elder Scrolls developers since <laughs> Oblivion. Um, because it that mod was... So, or not mod. It was actually a paid DLC for Oblivion. Horse armor was. And it, it became the butt of a running joke. And they actually had a horse armor mod included in the creation club kit <laughs> so you go to any of the blacksmiths and you can just tell them hey give me steel armor or give me elven armor and they'll add it to your horse um i thought that was hilarious so they you know there there's a lot of player house mods are in the creation kit there's a lot of quest mods. There's a lot of armor and weapon mods. Um, the one thing is, uh, a lot of these pre-existing mods aren't really compatible with the um, Anniversary Edition. So, uh, when I did start this new game, I actually disabled all of my mods. And I started a new game. And I went with uh, Dunmer, kind of my bread and butter. My pre-existing character was a an Argonian. And I shouldn't say was, because he's still around. I just haven't touched him since then. Um, that kind of sounds weird. But, um, yeah, I have created a brand new character. And I saw that there is a player house that is right outside of Whiterun. The problem is, is you have to pay 7,500 gold to buy it and that's something I've never really understood if if you're creating a mod for these player houses and things like that why the fuck would you make people pay for it you know I don't mind a uh, you know a quest to gain control of the house or what have you but why should I have to pay for this if it's a mod like if it was actually in the game then you know, going around paying for the houses that are in the vanilla game, fine. But why should I have to pay gold for a player house mod? But, you know, whatever. I found a way around that. 
Um, I actually talked to Sherry from the Dames Who Game, like the ASA podcasting crew, and she's like, yeah, that's why I'm getting White, or uh, Breeze Home first, the Vanilla House and White Run. Um, because it's cheaper, and, you know, until you get a player house, you don't really have anything to store your shit in, so if you encounter a dragon, um, you're not really going to be able to carry around the dragon bone and the dragon scales that you would pick up from it, so you have no place to store it. So, um, what else did I do? I mean, I, of course I did Bleak Falls Barrow. I did all that. Um, there are... I got a fishing map for Whiterun, and it took me a minute to figure out how fishing worked. Because you buy a fishing rod from anybody, you know. There are the Khajiiti merchants that are... There's one that's right outside of Whiterun, and they're, they're typically there. Um, not always, but nine times out of ten, I usually found them there. I mean, they could be in front of one of three different cities. I think there's like three different groups of Khajiiti merchants that'll go around and they'll sell you stuff. But I got a fishing rod, and you have to find a spot next to a body of water that has like a basket full of like fishing gear. And then, yeah, it just says, hey, do you want to fish? And yeah, you cast your line. And you have to wait, because, you know, with the controller that I have, you know, of course there's vibration. So you think the fish is biting, but you have to wait until the rod actually like really, really reacts to pull the line in. Because I kept pulling it early and it was kind of frustrating, but I got the hang of it. Um... With these Creation Club mods, they add more things that you can craft as far as like weapons and armor. Like, you can actually craft arrows and bone weapons, which was not a thing in the base game. Um, which never, I never understood that, how you couldn't craft arrows or bone weapons, only bone armor. Um, I don't know, I think the special edition eventually fixed that, so. But yeah, there are different types of armor now that you can build. Like there's uh, soldier armor that wasn't available before. There's brawler gauntlets, which have spikes on the end of them, which is kind of cool. Um, I did find some player houses. Like I said, I did buy the player house that's by White Run. Um, hopefully, I don't know, I would like a mod that would expand on the number of kids you can adopt because two seems kind of limited i mean you come across these kids in the cities and they talk about how shitty their lives are like their parents died so now they're begging for money in whatever city or they work with they work for a family that treats them like garbage and has them sleep with the horses uh, that that's just me though that's one that i would like to see um, I eventually did try to use my mods, my pre-existing mods, and they worked, um, save for one. Well, it, it worked for the most part, but there was one point where it didn't, and I had to delete it. So, there is a mod that I really enjoy called the Treasure of Riverwood Manor, and it's a player house, and once again, you have to buy the damn house with whatever. Um... But it adds a ton of stuff to do. Like there's a really long, extensive quest to find this treasure. And it's not just a house that's there. There's a bunch of, like there's a cave system, really 
um, cave, like a big cave system where you can actually get lost. And there are companions that you can have, like you can have a wraith follow you, you can have a, a saber cat follow you, you can have a spriggan follow you. There is a merchant that's there that has 10,000 gold, um, which is really helpful. There are talking chicken merchants that are there, yes, talking chicken merchants. Um, there are standing stones that will give you dragon souls, and you can use these dragon souls to purchase other things like skill resets, um, 10,000 gold per soul. That's actually how I bought the player house. Um, that I think it's called the Tundra Estate that's right outside of Whiterun. Um, but there are a lot of enemies and weapons and armor that you can get. Um, and eventually you do have to fight this, you know, final enemy to get the treasure of Riverwood Manor. Like, you have to, you, there are these notes that are around the area that will give you clues as to where it is. Like, go check this area. And, um, yeah, it's really, really cool. But, um, I think that they did, in fact, update it for the anniversary edition because I found something that I didn't find with my last player character. So, <clears throat> I go into this cave area and I find the grave of Todd Howard. And it said, rest in peace, Todd Howard, 1971 to 2021. You look at it like you search it and it'll give you a note saying happy birthday skyrim happy 10th birthday skyrim and it has a picture of todd howard and it said it just works or something like you know skyrim it just works or whatever well you have to fight todd's ghost and it was a long fight neither one of us were really doing much damage to each other but i did eventually kill him and when i killed him it said congratulations no more bugs which i thought was really funny and for whatever reason they made todd an orc uh, like he was a ghost until i killed him and then he turned into a physical body but yeah um i have some other player house mods i have some quest mods like the moon path to elsewhere mod and the forgotten city which both are fantastic if you haven't checked those out and I had, a, you know, I have the Shirley mod. I don't know if I just said that or not, but I have the mod that adds Shirley Curly, the Shirley Curry, the Skyrim grandma, as a follower. I haven't done that one yet with this character. I did get her with my last one, but the mod that didn't quite work, uh, like it did initially. Um, it's this mod that overhauls all of the main hold cities. You know, it just adds a lot of decor to it, which was really nice. Um, it worked with Whiterun, but it, whatever for whatever reason, when I was going to, um, which city was it? Windhelm. It would crash whenever I got inside. And that, it happened over, you know, multiple times. So I just, I was like, all right, let me see if this is the one that's doing it. And yeah, sure enough, it was the mod that was causing the crash. So... I did um, delete that one, unfortunately. Or I don't think I deleted it, I just disabled it. But maybe it'll get an update to where it will work. Hopefully, yeah, a lot of the other mods did have updates, so hopefully that one will get fixed to be compatible with the Anniversary Edition. A lot of these player-created mods are going to have to work on 
fix, you know, making them compatible with the anniversary edition. Otherwise, people aren't going to be able to play them. So, yeah, um, I joined the Companions. I haven't done really any quests for them yet. I've got a quest where I've got to go brawl somebody to get them to quit being a dick. Um, one of those quests. And then I did go up to the 7,000 steps. I did actually take on the Ice Wraith and kill him. So I'm kind of playing this like I have been lately where, yeah, I use the bow um, if somebody's far away. And there was a bow that I got called the Sha Bow of Shadow, which uh, makes you invisible if you're not attacking somebody. I don't know. Um, it, it's fine. The nice thing about that bow is it doesn't have a charge for an enchantment. So it's just, that's what it is. You, you know, it, I don't have to keep charging it with soul gems, which is nice. Um, I found another mod that... No, well, there was one that was difficult. There was one that has zombies. Oh, that's another thing about the, the Riverwood Manor mod is it adds a lot of uh, unique spells to the game. Um, but there was a uh, mod in the Creation Club where you go find this guy that is a necromancer. And you find him dead surrounded by a bunch of zombies. And the zombies swarm you. And it was difficult. I died once or twice. Um, so there's that, and it gives you a spell to um, conjure zombies up. But there was one that you have to find somebody, um, some ring, and you get attacked, of course, by bandits. And I did find, you know, I did kill them, and then you can take this ring to a Khajiiti merchant, and... You can trade it for a full set of uh, Daedric armor. Either that or you can just buy it. But I think I gave him the ring, because what the hell am I going to do with the ring? So, yeah, that was fun. Um, I did go up, like I said, I went up the 7,000 steps and I did kill the Ice Wraith by myself. And then I also did the mod that adds farming to the game. So there's this um, farmhouse right outside of Rorikstead and I, it took me a minute to find it but I did find it and you um, go on this quest to find the bodies of the family that lived there before and yeah you have to find there's a, a mom a dad and a kid and the kid had died and then the parents kind of turned on each other they both suspected the other one of foul play um, I don't want to get into it a ton, but once you finish the quest, then you can plant things in the farm. And you leave them planted there, and you can also hire, uh, you can leave a steward there, you can hire farmhands who will care for this. So they'll leave, you leave the stuff planted, and the stuff gets harvested automatically and ends up in a pantry in the house. But then you can also add stuff to the farmhouse like a windmill a you know livestock pen a horse um, a couple other things and it took me a minute like you can actually build a forge there too which helps with all that and it took me a minute to figure out where to do all that because i was like where the hell do, do i talk to the steward to build this shit no there's a crafting bench right by the front door of the house that i was apparently too blind to not notice there. 
So um, that's really it as far as Skyrim. I'm definitely going to keep playing it. It's been a lot of fun because um, there's plenty of more Creation Club mods that I haven't touched yet. Um, I did try playing the Deadlands DLC and um, unfortunately I think the server's a little overloaded with players because this one was free as long as you claimed it before a certain point in time and there's always that time after the initial launch where everybody is hopping back in and it's just overloading the servers um that happened with graymore last year too i remember that where it would just crash on you and it probably happened with the gates of oblivion um i'm sure it did uh, when it first got released so i did go to the main zone so this adds a whole other area outside of tamriel so like kind of like um cold harbor or the clockwork city where it's an area outside of tamriel that you can travel to so um yeah i'm gonna give it some time and then hop back into it once things calm down a little bit like i said i i did get in there and then it kept crashing on me so i mean i'm sure if you go to zones outside of this that you'll be able to play but i'd recommend taking some time before you start doing the gates of oblivion um like the um deadlands dlc quests but um other than that, I have played a lot of Mass Effect, um, so I actually finished Mass Effect 2 the other day, uh, a couple nights ago. So that has been a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I wanted to romance Liara again, but I didn't realize that she didn't have like a main, like she did have a really cool DLC. But other than that, she wasn't a central character in this game. So I started, I really liked Jack and I wanted to, um, I thought about getting with her, but I wanted to stay true to Liara and then I realized she wasn't coming back in this game. So I kind of got with Tally. Um, I do like Tally though, but I did all of the quests like all the side quests, all of the DLC, I mined the hell out of a bunch of places. And then um, I was, I, I, I've been chatting here and there with Taylor from the Element Zero podcast again, shout out to him. And he's been really helpful. So I go to do the suicide mission at the very end. And I'm not going to get into spoilers or anything if you haven't played it, but I lost one of my companions, uh, one of my crew, and that was that was really rough. Um, I was really kind of upset about that, and I asked Taylor about that, and he's like, what did you do? And I told him, and he's like, ah, yeah, you sent the wrong person for that part of the mission, because that's one thing you do in the suicide mission, is you kind of delegate tasks to your crew as to okay this person does this um there's this mission that requires somebody with these kind of skills you go do this and there was one that required somebody to provide a distraction um but not just a distraction they need to have tactical skills and apparently the person that i sent 
wasn't up to snuff with the tactical side of it. They were fine providing a distraction, but they didn't have the tactical prowess to um, come out of there unscathed. So yeah, I unfortunately lost them. And now I am playing Mass Effect 3, and I'm a few hours into that. And I have really enjoyed it so far. Um, I know the ending of this one is really controversial. But so far, I'm really enjoying it. And based on Taylor's suggestions that he actually provided in the Mass Effect 3 episode, the retrospective on Mass Effect 3 that he did, I made sure to get to Grissom Academy first because if you don't, then you won't run into one of your other former companions. And I wanted to make sure that I did. And also you provide a way to get these students, um, these biotic students that she's teaching out of there. So yeah, that that has been a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to continuing that. Um, that's really about it as far as my gameplay though. A lot of Skyrim and a lot of uh, Mass Effect, so. Oh yeah, I am on Scorecation with Fallout 76, so yeah, that, that's been nice. Uh, I definitely enjoyed the Halloween event with that. So, but that's over now. And now they're doing Thanksgiving stuff in the Atomic Shop. Anyway, I've been going on for over 40 minutes at this point. I'm going to switch over to the main segment now, and we are going to talk about Mafala. Stay tuned, guys. Alright guys, uh, let's talk Mafala. So, Merchant, are you still listening? Mm-hmm, Sulior, if you're talking to this one, Khajiit cannot hear, he's plugging his ears. Alright then, so let's continue then. Mafala is a Daedric prince whose sphere is obscured from mortals. She is associated with murder, lies, deception, sex, and secrets and is always weaving a web of intrigue and terror. Mafala is also known as Web Spinner, Plot Weaver, Androgyne, and the Spinner, the Spider, the Secret, sorry, the Teacher of Secret Arts, the Queen of Eight Shadows of Murder, the Silver Spider, the Spider God, the Dark One, the Whispering Lady, the Lady of Whispers, and the Queen of Oblivion. She's also referred to as the Princess of Secrets and she who weaves a sordid web of human affairs. The long, thin silver hair is associated, sorry, long, thin silver hair is associated trait with Mephala's champions. So that tells you right there pretty much all you need to know about Mephala. So yeah, Mephala is basically the Daedric Prince of Deceit. And I am pretty sure my first exposure to Mafala was in Oblivion. I actually remember that quest quite well and we'll get to that here in a little bit. But so yeah, Mafala interferes in the affairs of mortals for her own amusement, which was very apparent in the Oblivion quest that I just mentioned. And she doesn't do anything without purpose. Mafala thinks of the affairs of mortals as a weave. 
and kind of like the tapestry um, muses in Greek uh, mythology, like where she can see all these intermingling webs of you know everybody and basically just manipulates all of that to amuse herself. So to her, the web of Anubis is an interconnected system of action and consequence, and she spins new threads to influence the outcomes. In a in an essay, analyzing the whole thing, and you know, so yeah, basically she just she sees things here and there. Is like okay, so if I move this here, then you know this will happen. Kind of like almost like the butterfly effect she can foresee every consequence to you know all these different things and just likes to basically fuck everybody's lives up to laugh about it um for the lack of a better phrase um yeah it, it's she's uh yeah she's something else so the web spinner deals in secrets and hidden lore, and she and her worshippers value secrets and mysteries above all else. Those who stumble upon one of Mafala's shrines or in a place where an artifact of hers is hidden may find Mafala worshiping or sorry, whispering forbidden secrets into their ears. Hermaeus Mora, the demon of knowledge, is sometimes referred to as Mafala's sibling. Hermaeus Mora collects knowledge of all sorts, but Mfala only cares about knowledge that is obscure and undisclosed. Not only is she secretive, Mfala also cares very little for the safety of, and well-being of mortals. The spider takes great pleasure in strife. A ruined marriage, two peaceful factions erupting into a bloody warfare over falsified evidence of treachery, Oblivion's Quest, and she finds all of these amusing. Mafala is perfectly one of the strongest unrecognizable spirits and that emerged soon after Akatosh's, um, Akatosh formed and time began. Mafala's enemies include Ebonarm and Periite. She, she was aligned with Malakath at one point prior to the warp in the west. The ancient Khajiit, easy for me to say, consider her an ally to Azura, Boethra and Lorcaj. They also believe that she was Boethra's lover. Her summoning day coincides with the Witches' Festival, which falls on the 13th of Frostfall. Yeah, the Witches' Festival is a fun event. Um, talked about that recently. Speaking of which, I completely forgot that there's an Undaunted event going on right now, so um, definitely check that out if you're into the Undaunted quests in ESO. Alright, so let's talk about how different races view Mafala. So, let's talk about Morrowind first. So, in Morrowind, Mafala is the ancestor spirit that taught the Kymer the skills that they need to evade their enemies or kill them in secret murder. Enemies were numerous in those days since the Kymer were a small faction. Mafala, along with Boethia, organized the clan systems that eventually became the basis for the Great Houses. Kymer shrines to Mafala were referred to as Mafala's nests. It, some versions of the tale of Trinimac's fall claim that Mafala is an integral part in his transformation. I can actually see that. In one such iteration of the story, Trinimac battles Boethia 
for turning on the Velothi against the Adric ancestors and is stabbing in the back and is stabbed in the back by Mafala just as he's about to deal a major blow. Tritamac was too wounded to fight further, allowing Boethia to disfigure him and cast the disgraced god into oblivion. Trinamac tore the shame of failure from his chest, which created Mulak, which is Malkath. So, Mafala is one of the quote-unquote good Daedra of the tribunal faith, which I don't understand that, but I guess according to this, she did help them. So, uh, she is known as the Black Hands Mafala in the anticipation of Vivek. She is various and many and is androgynous. Vivek was touted by the Tribunal Temple as the ascendant evolution of Mafala. The darker themes connecting Vivek to Mafala are not recorded in popular liturgy, but they were understood and accepted by the adherents of the faith as important to Vivek's divine identity. It was understood that Vivek had an unnatural attraction to lustful thoughts and murderous intentions. Vivek was compassionate and protective of his people, who hailed him as their benevolent guardian. Undercurrents of violence and lust and conspiracy were present in the Denver perception of him nonetheless. Vivek's religious profile was awash in duality and is befitting his relation to Mafala. I mean, I think that's exactly why Vivek decided to split his appearance in two halves. Half Dunmer half Keimer, you know, just to kind of represent the duality of himself, not just the Dunmer. One cultural relic that reflects that this persistent myth that Vivek conspired with Sothothil and Almalexia to murder Lord Narabar, the notion was born from the Ashlander oral tradition and was contradicted by the Tribunal Temple's teachings. True or not, the tale was firmly established in Dunmer society. This myth presents the darker facet of Vivek's persona for his followers to, to ponder, one that is tied to his association with Mafala, who embodies secrets, conspiracy, and murder. To the Khajiit, she is known as Mafala, with an F, not a PH. They also consider her the teaching mother, the elder spirit, and the keeper of secret ancient Fatime, the ancient secrets of Fatime, I should say. The clan mother of dark secrets and the eight clawed. Ancient sermons claim that, claim that she served as the recorder of hidden guilt and eternal shame. She was considered an ancestor spirit and the teacher of the old ways. However, her worship fell out of favor with the event known as the Sinner's Suicides. I have never heard of that. I'm going to have to look into that. Mafala, along with Azura, Boethra, and Boethra, are said to be the only ones capable of summoning the obscure spirit of vengeance, for, they know it's, for only they know its true name. The spirit appears as a black panther, a warrior in ebony armor, or a hidden sword. The orcs of the Immortal Clan once revered Mafala also. As with most of Mafala's cults, they are called they called spiders her children. The clan ritualistically sacrificed people to power their clan's blood forge in her name. So yeah, a lot of association with spiders, um, <laughs> you know, being a web spinner herself. So I mean, it makes sense, and she does kind of appear as a spider with 
the humanoid. She kind of appears as a humanoid with spider legs coming out of her sides and back. So she does have like kind of a human shape to her, but um, extra legs. And a lot of her servants are spiders. So let's talk about her association with assassins. Mafala directly helped the, to found the most infamous cult you know, slash society of the Morag Tong. So, the Morag Tong is a faction that you find in Morrowind. And they're kind of like the Dark Brotherhood, but they are backed by the government. So, they... Basically, somebody puts a hit on somebody, and you can go and kill somebody. Like, the, the Morag Tong is actually a faction you can join in Morrowind. So, there's a hit on somebody, and you can legally go and kill them as long as you have this writ for assassination. So, you go kill somebody that has a hit on them, you know, through the Morag Tong, and basically, as long as you have this writ, you know, the coordinator or whatever guard will come over and be like, what the hell are you doing? Show them the writ, they're like, well, this seems to be an order, carry on. But um, I need to do uh, an episode on the Morag Tong because the Dark Brotherhood actually split off from the Morag Tong. I mean, I don't think that it's officially confirmed, but it's basically, you know, all but confirmed. So let's see here. The Morag Tong um, was it's directly associated with. Mafala, she's the one who helped uh, found it. So they claim to murder for the Daedra's glory, the Morag Tong do. Some scholars also argue that when the Morag Tong was banished from the rest of Tamriel, they were allowed to continue to operate in Morrowind when they replaced their worship of Mafala with that of Vivek. And because of this, the Dark Brotherhood was formed. So, yeah, here's where it talks about this right here. The Dark Brotherhood was formed, and it was being led by the mysterious Night Mother, who some insisted is just another form of Mafala. Prior to the Warp in the West, the, dark, the branch of the Dark Brotherhood that operated in the Iliac Bay openly worshipped Mafala, and some of those within the organization recognized her role, although it has since become obscure over time. So Mafala was the patron of the Silken Ring, which is a group of assassins comprised of deserters from the Dark Brotherhood, Morag Tong, and the Shadow Scales, which we've talked about the Shadow Scales in other episodes also. The Shadow Scales are Argonians that were hatched, I, I believe it was during a new moon, and they're basically sworn to the Dark Brotherhood. So they're raised by the Dark Brotherhood. So, this group was led by Drenos Velador. He is a member of the Morag Tong and the Lady of the Lace, uh, Horavor, I think that's how you pronounce that, uh, Daedra, devoted to Mafala. The Lady of the Lace granted the Silken Ring of Mafala's blessing, which made them deadlier assassins. assassins. The Silken Ring, believed to be to the Dark Brotherhood and Shadow Scales, um, do not understand Sithis' true nature, but Mafala does. 
The organization's founder felt that the Morag Tong was merely, they merely paid lip service to Mephala, and with the Silken Ring's founding, he felt that he would be doing her bidding directly. So, gardeners may occasionally ask Mephala to spare their gardens from slugs and worms due to her association with spiders. Spiders and the related imagery, such as webs, are often used in devotional pieces to Mephala. Pieces are often made from silvery or solid black materials, such as ebony and hematite. Textiles created in Mephala's armor are usually woven from spider silk, which you can find a lot in the SO. The Cult of the Spider is an illegal form of worship that honors Mephala. Individual spider cults are sometimes referred to as webs. People generally don't purposefully seek out or seek to join the cult. As one of the, its members described during an interview in the Second Era, the weaving of Mephala's web draws people into their service. That is not to say that Mephala recruited them, rather, but the cultists believe that their involvement in the cult is, an, is as an inevitability as death itself. That sounds very tragic. The spider cult has a leader known as the Widow, wonder why, who communes with Mephala and grants duties to subordinate members. Sometimes Mephala wants someone dead, and these jobs fall to the Death Weavers. The rest of the cult consists of scuttlers who perform more discreet tasks to spin their master's webs. The spider cult uses sex and seduction as tools, and an, an induction into the cult often requires prospective members to engage in such activities with the widow or other designated parties. So, basically you have to have sex with the widow to join the cult. And yet the widow doesn't kill those people? You would, you would think being a widow, she would, but okay. But, yeah, I guess not. So, the cult's use of sex has earned them a reputation for being debauched orgy clubs, which is a claim that's mostly inaccurate. Some spider cults execute members who express doubt in their faith to Mephala. Spider cults often keep giant spiders, which they feed live mortals to. One who intrudes upon a spider cult's domain may find themselves fed to these eight-legged pets. Those who are faithful to Mephala are able to command spiders, which are surprisingly easy to train. I wouldn't think they would be easy, but I guess so. Followers who worship Mephala's shrine in Cyrodiil's Great Forest leave offerings of nightshade at the shrine between midnight and dawn if they seek an audience with the prince. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I remember doing that. A seemingly universal concept among Mephala's worship is a simple mantra referred to by one of the Morkel cultists as her whispers, lust is love, lies are truth, death is life. So that is how the worship of Mephala goes about. Let's talk about things that she's actually done in recorded history. So it doesn't actually say when exactly this happened, but some of the earliest interactions with her are listed here. There is a um, ring of the Khajiit that was stolen by Rajan from the Mafala, from Mafala, Mafala, uh, I think is how you pronounce that though, prior to his ascension to Godhead. 
During this period in Elsewhere's history, there was no such thing as a main, which we talked about the mains in the Kajini First Talk episode. Go check that out. So they're basically there's there's one main alive at a time, most of the, I mean for the most part. And they're the leaders of the Kajini clans. So the moon sorry, the the moons were new in the night the night of the crime, thus shined no light upon Nern. The darkness gave Rajin access to Oblivion, where he found Muffala, Azura, and a third dater prince arguing over who claimed dominion over the night. Probably nocturnal, I would imagine. Rajin listened to their arguments for a while before revealing his presence. He offered to settle their debate, as there was no one more familiar with the night than a thief. At first, Muffala regarded Rajin with malice and sought to eat him. However, Azura uh, stopped her. Each prince told Rajan who they, who they deserved to be chosen, and the thief caught sight of the ring of the Khajiit on Mafala's eighth arm. He seduced Mafala by appealing to her vanity and stole the ring off her arm while they made love. That, wow, okay. Um, he spotted the ebony blade as he was leaving and made off with both artifacts. Rajan used the ring of the Khajiit's powers to make himself invisible, silent, and quick as the, a breath of wind. Using the ring, he became the most successful successful burglar in the history of elsewhere, and eventually being... ...the city of Iroki thrived in Rivenspire. It was ruled by... Princess Anuram, I think is how you pronounce that. That's a very interesting looking word. Whose wisdom, grace, and beauty were unsurpassed. She married a prince from another state, and their relationship was happy for a time. However, Anuram's husband was away for an extended period of time, and the prince's passion, princess's passion died, and she took the, a young warrior as their lover. You know what? I actually remember this story. Her husband eventually caught wind of the affair and gathered an army to storm the city. Anuram's pledge, Anuram pledged to face him in battle, and her lover promised to muster his own forces in defense of the city. When the day of the battle arrived, Anuram saw that her lover had betrayed her for a bribe, and his legions had joined her husband's. The spurned princess called upon the dater to help defend her city, and Mafala answered her. Sorry, it actually is Mafala this time, not Mafala. Uh, Mafala answered her plea. She commanded Anuram to pour her all her tears in a basin and imbued them with the power of Anuram's hatred for her traitorous lover, which was only strengthened by her genuine love that she felt for him before he turned on her. Her tears hardened into a powerful artifact known as the Tears of Anuram, which the princess used to destroy both armies and her city in the blink of an eye. I actually remember hearing about this story. I don't remember where. It might have been in a book, but I do remember hearing about that. So let's talk about the Second Era, where there was a lot going on in the Second Era. So sometime in the early Second Era, an Altmer named Ned... Nereneth, I think is how you pronounce that, uncovered the ebony blade while scouring Tamriel for artifacts to Seti. He brought it to his school of magic, the Aji uh, Rel, for study 
believing it to be an ancient Akaviri blade. Mafalo whispered to Narinith through the blade and gradually corrupted his mind. Mafala convinced him that his wife, Alanway, was having an affair with one of her fellow instructors at Edgy Rally. I, I don't know how to properly pronounce that. Eventually, Narinith snapped and ensnared the souls of his students and fellow researchers. His soul so that she would suffer the most. Mafalo is greatly pleased by Narinith's murder of so many who he loved and trusted, so, and so petitioned the mad architect to construct elaborate instruments of torture for the remnants of the academy. Ejirel became known as the Crypt of Hearts and was avoided by the people of Riven Spire for many years. In Second Era 582, a group of Undaunted, which I uh, mentioned earlier, so this is during the events of ESL, Second Era 582. A group of Undaunted entered the crypt and cleared it of undead and danger, freeing the captured souls and restoring Alienway's spirit. So this sounds like one of the uh, dungeon delves that you can do, like the group dungeon delves. So I haven't done that particular one, but it does sound like fun. Instead of departing for the afterlife, Alienway stayed behind to protect the vault from Narenrith, who returned in force years later. Sorry, later that year. Using the Ebony Blade, Narenrith summoned minions of Mephala, the powerful Dater who aided him in recapturing the lost souls. The Undaunted returned and once again aided Alienway by investigating, um, in, yeah, investigating Narenrith's return. The group managed to locate the Ebony Blade and were forced to slay Nerneth when he wielded it in battle. Alanway's spirit then took the blade and consumed took the blade and con- communed with Mafala, easy for me to say. The unknown whisperer. Mafala attempted to corrupt her by promising to help destroy the weapon, but Alanway refused to listen to the prince. Instead, she used her own soul to place a charm on it so that it would never remain within an individual for very long. So she then sent it far away, although the blade was fully empowered at the time and fought against her will, unyearn- sorry, yearning to eventually return home. However, Alanway's sacrifice did, did deny Mafala the blade's use during the great war between the forces of oblivion. A lost temple to Mafala was uncovered by the Falunesti, Falunesti faithful at the lost city's autumn resting site. The prince took advantage of the faithful's yearning for answers and purpose and spoke to them. They formed the Arbor Dawn cult, became her death weavers, and the vestige in Tellinger the Artificer unsealed the temple and investigated the ruins and encountered Mafala inside. Tellinger resealed the temple to prevent Mafala's influence from escaping. The Cold Harbor Compact did not apply to the Daedric prince, princes that were not present during the creation, so the Daedric triad composed of Clavicus, Vile, Mafala, and Nocturnal attempted to remake Nern in their image during the Daedric War of the Second Era. So this is talking. This is actually the events of the Somerset DLC, which I posted pictures of this because there's one point where the three of them are basically tossing around um, the date, sorry, the uh, Sigic Order leader, 
just kind of tossing them back and forth and just messing with them. They're like playing uh, catch with them. It's kind of crazy. So, Mathala clavicus vial and clavicus vial aided the psychic order in stopping nocturnal. Nocturnal turned on the other two. So, um, the Mathala and clavicus vial actually teamed up with you and the psychic order to stop nocturnal from achieving infinite power after she betrayed them. So, vial and Mathala negotiated with Sothacil and, and agreed to cease direct influence on the affairs of Nern. Also in that year, a strange glass file was in circulation among Tamriel's black markets. The bottle appeared empty, but when uncorked, dark, seductive whispers could be heard, and this was believed to be the voice of Mafala. Alright, let's talk about the Third Era now. So in the events leading up to the Warp in the West, an agent of the Blades, which is your character in Daggerfall, uh, summoned Mafala and was tasked with assassinating a noble in the Iliac Bay area. The troublesome noble sought the location of the Nightside Asylum, I don't know why that was hard for me to pronounce, um, which was the base of operations for the Iliac branch of the Dark Brotherhood. In return for completing this task, a worshipper of Mafala rewarded the agent with the Ebony Blade. In Second Era 427, which is the events of Marwind, Mafala asked the Nerevarim to assassinate a member of the Morag Tong who was killing without obtaining writs. In return for dealing with the rogue member, the Nerevarim was rewarded the Ring of the Khajiit. In Third uh, Era 433, which I mentioned earlier, this is the events of Oblivion, the champion of Cyrodiil summoned Mafala and was tasked with starting a feud between two prominent families the Nordic Ulfgar and the Dunmary Dalvilu, I think is how you pronounce that, and the settlement of Bleaker's Way. The champion murdered the leaders of the two families and planted evidence which implicated the other. So basically, yeah, you start a war between two clans uh, who were at peace, and I distinctly remember Mafala saying, call me Web Spinner. So, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty messed up. So the settlement descended into chaos and the two families fought until only one remained. And Mafala then rewarded the champion with the blade, the Ebony Blade. So in the fourth era, uh, 201, of course, with this is the events of Skyrim, the young uh, Jarl Balgriff the Greater stumbled upon the, unlo the locked door to the chamber where the Ebony Blade was kept. Mafala spoke to the children through her artifact, whispering secrets through the door. Yeah, this this was messed up also. The kids are hearing whispers and want to get into this door. And so uh, word spread through the city of the Jarl's dark child. And the last dragonborn was tasked with helping the child. When questioned, Nelker spoke, to, spoke of the Whispering Lady, which is another name for Mafala. The Dragonborn investigated the Whispering Door and was contacted by Mafala. Under the guidance of Nelkir, the Dragonborn obtained the key to the door and retrieved the Ebony Blade. However, having been locked away for so long, the weapon had lost most of its power, and Mafala instructed the Dragonborn to empower the Ebony Blade by murdering people who trusted them, of course. So yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the artifacts. 
We've mentioned the Ebony Blade quite a bit. So the Ebony Blade is known as the Vampire or the Leech. It's a Daedric artifact created by Mafala and it resembles an Ebony Katana and is considered to be an artifact of great evil, having the ability to absorb the life essence of those that it strikes. Part of the damage inflicted in the blows in, it flows into the wielder as raw power, draining the victim of their health and sometimes stamina. It's also been known to fortify the wielder's skill as long as the blades magically silence those that it strikes to prevent them from casting spells, and also deceives victims. Kajidi myths do not mention the blade by name, but instead refer to it as the killing word of the spider and the black edge of shadow. So here's one that I didn't know about. Uh, it's called Mafala's Teacher. Mafala's Teacher is a Daedric club that is believed to be associated with Mafala. Legend states that she uses the club to punish her obstinate followers to remind them that discipline is required for executing great schemes. The implement itself has two enchantments, which freeze and tire the victim, respectively. So, there's a picture here from Elder Scrolls Blades, and let me see if it's in any other games here. And yeah, it looks like it's also in Morrowind. I do not remember this weapon at all. But yeah, I guess it's in Blades and Morrowind, so there you go. Alright, next up is the Ring of the Khajiit, which we've mentioned a few times also. The Ring of the Khajiit is sometimes just the Ring of Khajiit or the Ring of the Khajiiti, is an ancient Daedric artifact many centuries old dating back to at least the Second Era. It is associated with the two Daedric princes Meridia, who we'll talk about next, and Mafala, both of whom have been known to offer the ring in return for their service. It is said that the ring makes the wearer invisible, silent, and quick. The ring was originally owned by Mafala until it was stolen off her arm by Rajin, which we mentioned earlier. When, you know, that's probably why it's called the Ring of the Khajiit. He was an, a, a renowned burglar who became revered as the thief god of the Khajiit. Using the ring's powers, Rajin became the most successful burglar in Elsewhere's history. It is even said that Rajin stole a tattoo from the neck of Empress Kitaria as she slept, which. How the hell you do that, I have no idea. Eventually, after making use of the power too freely, Rajin abandoned the ring, or was or was abandoned by the ring, and left exposed to his enemies. Alright, next up is Oblivion Husk. The Oblivion Husk is a magical stone associated with Mavala. Its appearance is as trans is a transparent black crystal with a daedric letter OT carved into it, O-H-T. The origin of the artifact is shrouded in mystery. Some believe it to be the fragment of Oblivion, having followed a visiting Daedra from the plane. Others believe to be magical in nature, containing a trapped shred of Mafala's essence. The husk is, or sorry, has formidable powers with two known functions, which were discovered by and passed down by the members of the Spider Cult. Additional spells may be tied to the artifact, but the husk never stays in the possession of a single individual for too long. Members of the Mpala cult have been known to scheme and battle over it. It can, be create, it can create and control all matter of shades, from minor shadowings to creatures of complexity, aberrant intellect, and untold power. Most powerful spider cultists have, been, have found that 
they can use the husk to enchant others. The afflicted are shrouded in a shadow and granted supernatural agility and strength but lose their minds. These shades follow the beck and call of the oblivion husk's master. And finally, we've got the threads of the web spinner, which are 27 pieces of extravagant enchanted clothing and jewelry associated with Mephala and Sanguine. The story goes that Mephala sought to reward her devoted followers within the Morag Tong and turned to Sanguine to create them. Each thread enhances a single skill, such as weapon skills and speechcraft and magic. So there's a picture here from Morrowind. Let's see if they're in any other games. I'm guessing not since they're, um, yeah, since they are dealing with the Morag Tong. Nope, looks like these are just in Morrowind. So let's talk a little bit about Mafala's realm. It is known as the Spiral Skeen. And it's a realm of oblivion created and ruled over by Mafala, the Daedric Prince of Lies. Some portions of the realm resemble a dark, sprawling cavern with a, with a high ceiling dotted with luminescent mushrooms. Why that was so hard to say. Spiders, horrors, and all matter of crawling creatures inhabit the plain, and tall buildings with arches and spires dot the landscape. Crystals of, the, of deep red hues jut from the cliffs. Ceilings and walls and other geometric clusters comprised of prism-like shapes. The spider Keith and temperamental spider Daedra are her servants. Horvor Daedra also serve Mephala. So you actually get to see the spiral skein a couple of times in ESO. And... <laughs> Yeah, it, it's uh, it's messed up. It's very dark, and it looks like something out of a horror movie. And uh, I think if I remember right, the conversation that I had with Lotus of Doom, we kind of touched on the spiral scene a little bit. And um, I think I, I asked what realm of oblivion he would like to see more of or one that we haven't seen and he mentioned this spiral scene i was like wait a minute we've already seen it and he's like yeah but we only saw little bits and pieces of it i would like to actually be able to explore it extensively okay um i don't hate spiders um like i'm kind of i'm i don't i'm not afraid spiders like spiders are not my phobia but they're not something that i would choose to spend a lot of time with um but yeah i guess so and it, um, if you look at the article on the spiral scheme there's a lot of different pictures of the flora there um, such as the glow brush midnight cap nettle cap scarlet saw leaf shadow palm bat bloom and um some fauna too but um yeah a lot of a lot of the um creatures that you find in the spiral skein are very spider-like very arachnid uh looking so yeah that, it's not a place that i would choose to go to if i had the choice to go to a particular realm of oblivion i would probably go to um, azura's realm that'd be my choice so yeah that really is it as far as mafala um 
not a very friendly Daedra. Um, unlike what the Morrowind say, yeah, they, they're not the Morrowind, the Dunmer say, <laughs> the people of Morrowind, that's what I meant to say. Um, they might have, or Mafala might have helped them in the past, but Mafala is all about deceit and treachery and, you know, pulling strings to suit her will. So, not one that I would like to spend a lot of time around. But, like I said, you do get to deal with Mafala. You see Mafala in person quite a bit during the Somerset DLC in ESO. So, next up, as I mentioned earlier, is Meridia. And I know a lot of people know Meridia from Skyrim. But you do see Meridia in person in ESO also. So, yeah, that's who we will cover next. I'd like to thank The Hive, as always, for sponsoring this podcast. And if you would like to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram personally at iangold08. And you can find the show at tamrelicp. And, um, yeah, you can also email the show if you'd like at Podcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash and if you would like to help me out, please, please, please share this show with your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Uh, just tell them that you know of a uh, an Elder Scrolls podcast that talks about lore and uh, gameplay and things like that. And yeah, that is probably the best way you can help me. Still send me um, Patreon suggestions uh, because i still would like to start a patreon you can also check out my other shows i've got nintendo which we're still doing the legend of zelda i just put out an episode last week on a link between worlds and then tapes from the waste where we talk about fallout lore and we should have an episode coming out soon um kdb is putting the finishing touches on that but definitely check out the last episode we did on the one year anniversary of the show so it was a lot of fun and yeah also if you could do me another solid please uh, remember to rate and review this show on apple Podcasts. that really helps get eyes and ears on the show does a lot more good than you would expect to and it really only takes like 10 seconds to leave a rating and review and if you leave a review with a little message i will read it out on the show like i did with deadpool heads um review that they left recently so yeah that's a big way to help the show and uh, yeah on that note as always stay safe adventurers